directing is, you know, it's not just the director. It's everybody. You got, you know, the, the costume, the production designer, first AD. It is true. Directing isn't just a one-person thing. You, got, you, have to, you have to let everybody do their thing. Hello, and welcome back to The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America. In this episode, a former Marine makes an unusual delivery in director Peter Farrelly's comedic drama, The Greatest Beer Run Ever. Based on a true story, the film follows Chicky, a slacker and former Marine living with his parents in 1967 New York. When he decides that the best way to support his friends serving in the Vietnam War is to deliver them cans of beer, Chicky's outlook on the war is forever changed. In addition to the greatest beer run ever, Farrelly's directorial credits include the feature films There's Something About Mary and Dumb and Dumber with his brother, Bobby Farrelly, as well as solo projects such as 2018's Green Book, for which he was nominated for the DGA Award for Outstanding Directorial Achievement in Feature Film. Following a screening of the film at the DGA Theater in Los Angeles, Farrelly spoke with director Larry David about filming The Greatest Beer Run Ever. Listen on for their spoiler-filled conversation. How about a nice round of applause for Peter Farrelly, the writer-director of this movie? Thank you very much. So I'm, uh, I'm your moderator. <laughs> I haven't moderated in my life, so I have uh, some tremendous questions. <laughs> let, me, uh, let me get my questions out. Start, start uh, moderating. So, wait, I know my first one. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this is a good one. Did you meet the real Chicky, and is he as dumb as he is in the movie? <laughs> I did meet Chicky Donahue. He is that dumb. He is a moron. Uh, no, I'm kidding. He's a great guy. That was a joke. Well, no, wait. He could Don't be a great that. guy. You can be a great guy and a moron. Uh, yeah, but he, he's not a moron. He's very smart. Actually, as you read, he ended up going back to not just high school, but he went on to the Kennedy School at Harvard University. He's a very smart guy. And he ran the, uh, he ran the uh, Sandhogs, uh, built all the tunnel builders in uh, New York City for 40 years, and now he's retired. He lives in Florida. He's a spectacular guy. He's fun, loud, just a ball sharp, like you wouldn't believe. Like he could tell me, we, you know, we had a lot of questions, obviously, about what, what, do, you, what do you mean sharp? Like he'll tell, he remembers all the streets still in Saigon. He'll go, I was gone, I was on Two Do Street, and then I went on, you know, this street, yeah, and then I yeah. went around the corner. I, I remember phone numbers from my childhood, you know, my friends. Yeah. So. Steve Lefkowitz, Dewey 20386. That's nine years old. Yeah, no, no shit. What yeah. was your own number? Nightingale 6482. Yeah, I was 333-6776. Oh, that was an easy and one. And by, by the way, back then, you didn't have to dial the area code. Just those numbers, seven numbers. All right, so Chicky's a little smarter than he comes off yes, in the movie. Yes, he is. At some point as you're watching it, do you think uh, Chicky, uh, Chicky's a little too dumb here? Well, Chicky was, you know, back then he was a, you know, he was a young guy and he was, he didn't think things through completely. And he was a guy who would take chances and do stuff. And he told us about the time he drove a Volkswagen through 
the front doors at that bar to order a beer. And he was in there, and he went right through the front doors in a Volkswagen. You know, he was yeah, that guy back then. Sucks. He's not anymore. That's not your style. I, I don't like that. <laughs> I really don't. <laughs> <laughs> so how how close was the movie? D did you embellish a lot of this stuff in the movie? Um, that we, so would there, did you make up scenes that that didn't happen to Chicky? We took liberties, and here's where we took them. First of all, a lot of the right verbatim out of the book, exactly what he said is in there. But there were, you know, there were like, for instance, the, um, the character Coates played by Russell Crowe, that was based on four or five different war correspondents he had run into along the way. <clears throat> Much like in the movie uh, Catch Me If You Can, the Tom Hanks role was based on a few different federal agents. Uh, but yes, we did do that. And there was one big thing that we did add which was the helicopter thing and the reason we added it throwing the guy out of the helicopter oh you made that up that was made up and here's why yes because he did he was it's all true that they thought he was uh, cia and that's how he got around he was able to get all over the country because of that he got on flights got this got that but in doing research we found that we kept coming across this thing that was not known until like the 90s called the phoenix program where our cia ended up Believe it or not, throwing they estimate twenty five to seventy five thousand South Vietnamese citizens out of helicopters, and what? Yeah, it's called the Phoenix Program. Google it. Twenty five thousand. Yeah, to seventy five thousand people out of helicopters. They, not maybe not all out of helicopters, but they disappeared them, as they say. They were gone. And many out of helicopters. You can find it all over the internet. Did you, and you said South Vietnamese. They, Why South Vietnam? Because they were they they thought they were working with the North Vietnamese. They were the twenty five thousand people working with the North Vietnamese. More than know. way more than that. Sounds a little fishy. Way more than that. There was there was you know there were I mean that's what the Tet Offensive was. That was all South Vietnamese people, you know, who had been working uh, with the North Vietnamese who just went you know they took over. Yeah, and they, and you you filmed this where in Thailand. Yeah, I knew that, but I wanted you to know. Okay. Yeah, uh, that's, it was that's what moderators do. You, you have information, you pretend you don't know, but go ahead. Yeah, we we went to we tried to go to Vietnam, but Vietnam, uh, if you film there, they you could film there, but they approve it after you film. So in other words, we could shoot the whole movie and they look at it and say, Nah, we're not going to approve that. So we went to uh, uh, Thailand, but we went to the you know the terrain was exactly the same as you would see in Vietnam. Yeah, uh, those mountains, those hills, everything's yeah. Were there any big complainers in the cast or the crew that anybody going jesus it's so fucking hot here you know i i can't stand this you know or the food is terrible any complainers the writers they were they were whining the whole were the time. writers whining? Pete Jones and, and uh, Brian Curry. What, can we go into the trailer? It's okay. hot out here. I <laughs> can tell you that Pete Farrelly does not brook complainers. Because I was in one of his movies. It was in Atlanta. And I was in a nun's habit. It was the uh, hottest. It was scorching hot out during the summer. And I was on dirt. I had to be on dirt for the whole day. And 
And, and uh, I, I, Pete came by and I said, I can't, I can't, I can't take this. I can't take it. And, and he goes, oh, oh, poor boy. Oh, poor boy. You could, you could be driving a cab in New York. Oh, poor boy. Remember that? Yeah. I vaguely do. Yeah, I always I get annoyed it. when people go on like the Tonight Show or any of these talk shows and they're like, hey, how you doing? Like, oh, man, I'm wiped. I just did back-to-back movies. And I'm, I'm like, yeah, no, I get that. Are you yeah. an idiot? Like, you're so lucky to be able to do back-to-back movies. Don't complain about that, you know. Uh, but, uh, yeah, we, we had a... We had I had one funny thing, which was the, okay, first of all, it's the first time I've ever had guns on a set, and I was scared to death about them. I don't like guns, and this was before the uh, Alec Baldwin thing happened, and I just didn't like anything about it. I was always very cautious, checking the guns like a lunatic, and we had one uh, actor who just kept waving his gun around between takes. He put it over the shoulder. He'd talk like this. And finally, the armorer came over to me and said, I- I- I'm leaving if this-, if this guy gets another gun. He's dangerous. So, but we needed the guy in it. So I said, so what do I do? He- he's got to have the gun in the thing. He goes, then you have to start the scene. He has- Give him a rubber gun. Everybody else had you know, guns with blanks. He didn't. He had a rubber gun. And then we action. And as soon as we um, uh, get up to... Uh, you know, his point where he's going to shoot, I have to stop it. This armorer comes in, he hands him a rifle, takes the rubber one away. The guy shoots it. And then before I yell cut, he goes and swaps the thing out again. Uh, so it was, he was kind of a, he was a great actor, by the way, but kind of a nitwit. And then later, um, when we, when we got to, uh, you know, editing, I noticed that when he was shooting, he was going, bling, 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 bling. <laughs> Making little gun sounds the whole time. We had to get rid of that, too. But anyway, oh. I don't know. That, did that answer your question? I forgot what the question yeah. was. Yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> <laughs> when, when you're filming something, this is a tremendous undertaking in my, in my mind. Yep. You know, you're, you're thousands and thousands of miles from home. It really is hot. And there's so many logistical problems mm. that come up. Do you ever say to yourself as you're filming, what, what, what am I doing this for? I, what, this was a terrible mistake. I should, how do I get out of this? No. I, I've always, the, quite the opposite, where I'm pinching myself, like, I can't believe I'm making a movie. I just can't. Really? Believe, I still can't believe it. I can't believe it. I'm like, uh, I've never had, this is a true thing. I've never been on a set for a second without feeling wonder and awe and like, how did this happen? And gratitude. Just, I'm, I'm so happy to be doing it. I really am. It's just a miracle, you know, that I'm making movies. So you're lucky. You're lucky. I, I'm a lucky guy. That's for sure. What scene did you hate filming the most? Well, the toughest stuff we shot was the stuff when they were running, <clears throat> when he goes to uh, LZ Jane and he goes to see his friend Dugan and he, Dugan comes in and, and they go running down the hill and they're out in the thing. That was the first week, thank God, because we were all rested. If we had done that the last week, I, I don't know how we would have done it. There was, it was pouring the whole time. There was mud up to here and it's a different kind of mud over there. It sticks to you. You can't get it off. Like you, you, it, It's like having cement boots on all day. You're walking around with like 50 50 extra pounds on your feet, and you're trying to get it off. You can't get it off. It was 100 degrees, 98 degrees, with bugs everywhere. Uh, so that that was that was uh, that was the. I had three guys pass out because these guys are all in uniforms and they're carrying weapons and and all you know 
backpacks and everything. Three different guys went down, like boom. One guy I thought died, but he didn't. He was fine. But I remember I went over, he, he looked dead. He was completely ash and gray. There was nothing there. I couldn't see him breathing. I was, you know, but he, he snapped out of it. But it was, um, that was the, uh, that would have been the thing that was the toughest. But like I said, it was the first week we were all rested and we got through it. It would have been hard if it was the last week. Let me ask you this. You started out making comedies, kind of broad ones at that. Uh-huh. And when you're making these comedies, did you ever foresee that at some point you would, you would be making movies like this? No, but I, I didn't, I never planned. Like I look at like- Because you know, you don't, I, as a comedian yeah. and somebody who deals strictly in comedy, I've lost total respect for you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. I took the easy way out. <laughs> <laughs> no, so how did, how did this how did this come about? This transition in, it, it, in your career, you know, it, it's it's not by any planning. It's it's more of a you know uh, this luck or the universe, whatever. Like I do look back and I think, why why didn't I? I had opportunities where I could have mixed it up. I could have done this kind of thing, but I just did what came. It's like the next thing, all of a sudden, I is thinking, you know, read a script by John, Ed Dector and John Strauss, something about Mary, and 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 I liked it. And Bobby and I go in and rewrite it, and it was just it wasn't a plan. Like I look at Rob Reiner's career; he was so smart. His first movie was Spinal Tap. Then he did, I think, The Sure Thing, which is a romantic comedy, and then he did, uh, I think, Stand by Me. And they did a few good men, and all of a sudden you're like, "Is a few good men?" Yeah, and uh, yeah, that's the name of it. Yeah, yeah. and um, uh, you realize after those four movies, well, he can do anything, and he's getting he got offered everything. Whereas we were just broad comedy, broad comedy, broad comedy, and then and we had to like kind of you know come up with our own, do our own thing, but. The uh, the shift to Green Book that was just pure luck. I ran into Brian Curry, the the whiner, and um, he was. Uh, I'm kidding. He's not really a whiner. Um, and I ran into Brian Curry, and I said, "What are you up to?" He's an actor, and he goes, "I'm writing a screenplay." I said, "Oh, what is it?" And he said, "My friend's father drove this uh, black concert pianist through the South in 1962, and his father was kind of a racist, but they ended up becoming friends." I was like, well, "That's a fucking home run." He goes, yeah. I said, it's a home run. You got to do it. And I, I came home. I told Melinda, my wife, and I said, I heard the greatest story. I kept thinking about it. I don't know, maybe two months later, I thought, I wonder how that script's coming. So I called him up. I said, what's going on with that script you told me about? He goes, what did I tell you? I said, you know, the script you told me you're writing. Which one did I tell you I'm writing? I like, the one with the concert pianist. And the guy he goes, oh, I haven't started it. I said, can I write it with you? I love that idea. So we jumped in and we did it. It was just, you know, it, it came to me. Like this one came, someone sent me a 12-minute uh, documentary about this that's online. Oh, somebody sent that to you. Yeah, they just saw it in the blue. I saw it. I thought, that's a movie. I called my sister, Cindy, who's my attorney, and said, see if these rights are taken. And they were. And <clears throat> Skydance. And we went over there and, and did it. But there's no great. there's no great thought behind these things. It's just... It's the next thing that I liked. It wasn't like, I'm going to do a drama. I never thought that. Okay. Yeah. I drifted off while you were talking. <laughs> so I... Uh, you have no follow-up to I that. I have no follow-up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> yeah. It's okay. Oh, yeah. Here's what I wanted to ask you. Okay. So, um, he's, Chickie's got to walk like uh, 16 miles. Yeah. 
to get to where? Where is he going? Yeah, Tanzania. Yeah, okay. He's got to walk 16 miles, and he's still schlepping this this duffel bag with the beers. Yeah. I mean, did you ever think like, <laughs> you know, let's let's get rid of the beer at this point? He's got to walk 16 miles. Does he need to take the beers now? Lose the beers. Yeah. No, we didn't. We didn't. We we thought he should have the the beer the whole time, and it wasn't that much at that point because the first night, by the way, that is true. He got he arrived there first night, bumped into a guy from his town. He was in the ship next ship. Yeah. And he actually went on board the ship with him, but we, didn't, we couldn't afford a ship to shoot in, so we put him in the tents on the harbor. But that that did happen, <clears throat> and he went through most of the beer that night. So he yeah, still, he, you know, he, he yeah. had the duffel bag. Yeah. I was tracking how heavy the bag was yeah. throughout the movie. Yeah. I kept looking at the bag, how many beers were left. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Did it bother you that the, the beers were warm? I, I've had warm beer. I like You've warm You've had beer. warm beer? When I was a kid, sure. You know, like start drinking, you know, 10, 11, right? No. Um, uh, no, when I was, you know, like a high school kid, sure. We weren't bringing coolers with us. We had six pack and these throw it in the back Don't you seat. think he should have apologized when he was handing out the beer and go, you know, it's, it's, it's a little he warm? He did say that once. Huh? One time he did. He said, sorry, it's a little warm. That was his New York accent, which yeah. I, I'm sure you did picked you up on. Did you have a New York dialect coach on we the did. movie? We did. We had one. Because uh, I detected a lot of uh, Boston in there. Really? Yeah. yeah. The, the dialect coach worked you had, with You had Zach. beer down. Beer. Yeah. Give me a beer. You know. That That's was good. New York, right? That's New York. Yeah. yeah. You sounded like, what's his name? Uh, Christopher Walken there for a second. Give me a beer. Well, you know, I'm from Brooklyn. Is he from there too? He's from Queens. Okay. So. Really? Yeah. I always thought you were from Greenwich, Connecticut for some reason. Me? How dare you? <laughs> New York, huh? Eh? Yeah. All right, wait a second. Let's see what else I got. I think I'm doing very well moderating this. She's good. Thank you. Yeah. Um, it's a, you got a night shoot, okay? Yeah. You're writing the script. Oh, this is a night scene. And then you start thinking about a night scene, what that entails, how late you're going to be up, and yeah. how horrible the whole thing yeah. is. Did you, did you change any of them to days? Did, did you think about it? I have, you hate the night stuff? Come yeah, on, it's horrible. No, no, but I'm a night owl, remember? Like, I, I True, like to sleep yeah. till noon and, you know, work till, you know, late. So it actually, I do like a, I do like a night shoot, but I have done that before, not... Not on this movie, but in other ones where I think, why are we shooting at night when it can easily be day? It, it would be a lot easier, especially if it's a Thursday or a Friday and everybody wants to go home for the weekend. So, yes, I have moved things around for that, but not in this one. We kind of stuck to what it was. What about the rain? Did you have to do the rain? Didn't you feel like, uh, do we need this rain? Yeah, I don't. I think, well, first of all, I love weather. I love weather in a movie. I think it makes it more real. And, and when there's no weather, like, you know, you just have sun. Yeah, sun, you sun. like it because you're, you're under a tent. <laughs> yeah. What about the actors who yeah. have to get wet? They were miserable. They were upset. But it was the first week, most of the rainy stuff. Um, no, I, I like rain. I think it makes it, the place real. And it rained all the time there. You could not have rain. We got blessed in, uh, in Green Book where we had snow. And there, it was a snow scene, and we had this big plans to make all this snow for this one day. And believe it or not, that day it snowed in Louisiana. It was the first time they had six inches of snow in 30 years. 
It was all over the place. We just couldn't, and it makes the movie better. It looks like you're like, okay, they're driving through a snowstorm. I, th- I thought that in this movie, there were a lot of uh, scenes that were challenging, I, I would imagine, on, if you're directing it. Like at, the, like at the end on Saigon and all that, all that fighting in the street and everything. Was that particularly hard to film? That was new to me, yes. I, I think you did a tremendous job with, with all of those scenes. Everything seemed realistic. Uh, I never got the sense that... Yeah, I, I do. I, I'm, I'm not just saying that. I really think you did a, a brilliant job in those very difficult to, uh, scenes to shoot with uh, people firing uh, guns and tanks and all that stuff. Um, and the were you working with Vietnamese actors? Yeah. Uh, everybody you spoke, yeah, we had Vietnamese-only speakers. Like, a lot of times you will see these movies and they'll actually be speaking Thai, which to me is... I can't even imagine think, thinking that, like, because this isn't just for Americans; it's for the Vietnamese, and I want them to, I want them to look at it. I want them to feel this movie is truthful as much as the Americans do, and that's why we had we had you know Vietnamese consultants, and we had you know Vietnamese you know crew members, and we had like our our costumer Bao Tranchi. Like she, she was born in Vietnam. You know, her family escaped after the war, and she knows what Saigon looked like. And it doesn't. It didn't look like what most people think of it. Like they always in movies they'll show Saigon with peasant clothing, and they didn't. That was a. It was. They were very. Uh, it was a sophisticated city. And was, and was that Bangkok that was supposed to be Saigon? Um, that was. Yeah, I'm trying to remember where we were then. I think we were in uh, Chiang, Chiang Mai. We were up north, uh, a, a different town. We went all over. Did you pick up any of the language? Can uh, you speak a little uh, Vietnamese? A little, like, thank you, hello, you know, uh, uh, it's the word you use. You bow every time you go by anybody. You, you Do you would, like the bowing? You would go crazy. Do you love the bow? Uh, you get used to it, you know. We, sh- we shouldn't have the bow here, should we yeah, not? Uh, huh? Well, I'm trying to remember what we said. It's a, uh, I, I think we'd be a much a, better country if we incorporated the bow. It's Don't, nice. Huh? It's nice. It's so polite. It's so nice. And, and I actually it's had so a, respectful. I had one of the... Uh, I started getting a lazy bow where I would come along because you walking by like ten people. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's nice. It's no, nice. No, they don't like that. They this this uh, one of the guys, the drivers pulled me aside. And he bow wrong. He goes insult. Oh, you had a shit bow. You had a shit bow. He goes, you yeah. have to cover your nose. You have to go like this. Oh, city guy, city guy. Oh. And by not bowing my nose, it was like flipping them off. Yeah, whatever. Oh, yeah, I had to do okay. the real bow. But uh, yeah, the, first of all, the Thai people are incredible. They're great, you know, it was a great crew, great people. It was a lockdown the whole time we were there. You had to be in your room at nine o'clock, everybody, the whole city. So, um, you know, because of COVID. Uh, but uh, it was Shabal. I loved it. That's nice. I'm glad you had a, a good experience. <laughs> Does anybody have a question for Mr. Farrelly? <clears throat> yes. Okay, that's a great question. The question is, how did we get all the military stuff, and do we have help with the, our government? It, we had a military consultant, a guy named Hans Bush, who was incredible. Like, he, he was... I was never in the military. I wouldn't know what to do. It would look fake, and we had him... He went to look at every soldier. He went down the thing, the way they held the guns, the way they... 
everything, everything about the battle had to be accurate, and he was fantastic. It was a nightmare to get those, those helicopters and everything. We couldn't find them um, because, again, COVID, but there's not that many left over there, and so those, those old Hueys so, and the airplanes. Uh, it was always a scramble to see what we could get. This actually happened. Um, there was a, we couldn't get a helicopter. We were driving along scouting one day and we saw, uh, or we couldn't get airplanes and we saw a, a, an airplane parked in a parking lot that had been turned into a coffee shop. It was an old, like, you know, a C-140 or whatever you call them. And you, you walk into the thing and it was a coffee shop inside. And we went in and we said, could we rent this? And we actually took it, towed it away and we used it. Uh, in the movie, it's like when he's flying to uh, with all those soldiers. You know that was that coffee shop that we re retrofitted back to an airplane. Uh, I'm glad you noticed the embassy. The embassy looked exactly like the embassy. That is Tim Galvin, our our production designer, is a genius, and that was a facade, and he matched it. The first yeah, that's an iconic facade. Uh, yeah, yeah, he he matched it. To I weren't, remember weren't those people trying to uh, get out and. What was it, 73? Five. Five, yeah. yeah. Oh, look at you, Mr. No, no. You know about everything. Yeah, you're so smart. Okay, yeah. back to the facade. So he had a three-story facade. It was just a wall. And then in, we had uh, visual effects put up. Uh, uh, Ashley Bettini, who's the head of visual effects, she added more uh, things to the top afterwards. But we had the facade, and we had been shooting there for two days with Russell and with Zach. And one point, Z Russell goes, hey, do they, does the bathroom in this place work? And I was like, that's just a wall. There's nothing behind it. And we, he thought that was an actual building they'd been shooting in front of. That's how good it was. Yeah. Any more questions for Mr. Farrelly? It, it, you know, it was hard to find, you know, just, I wanted new people. I, I wanted a, a lot of new faces. This group, this group of actors is incredible. Uh, honestly, I think any one of those guys, his friends in uh, Inwood and his friends in Vietnam, any of those actors could go on to be uh, like superstars. They're fun. Each of them were better than the last. It was just uh, Rick Montgomery, my casting agent, is, is incredible. He just brought us great people. It was hard. It was hard getting them in, though, because we had, uh, you know, again, COVID, and everybody had to come in quarantine for two weeks and get permits and all. all where did you, Where did you film the Inwood scenes? That was in uh, Jersey City. No, actually, uh, Jersey City and in um, right next door. What's the one? Where's the hurricane from? The boxer, Patterson. Patterson. Yeah, Patterson, New Jersey. Okay. Any more questions? No, you don't get any more money. Any, it's, it, nothing changes. It, it was it was forty shooting days, and it was uh, forty million dollars. The whole budget. It was hard. It was like I could have used a hundred million for that thing. But you know, that's one thing. I'm going to get to your question, by the way. So don't worry. Last time I was here during uh, the beer run, uh, the, uh, what you would call it, uh, Green Book thing, I got up and I talked about how it's a team, directing is, you know, it's not just the director, it's everybody, you got, you know, the, the costume, the production designer, first AD, my first AD, J.B. Rogers, he saves me constantly, and it, it really is, you have to have great people around you, and they do, they do a, a, a great job, but it, it was, uh, you can't do that without all these people, but anyway, last time I was here, I walked off, and some 
somebody came up to me and said, well, you're not going to get nominated now for blankety blank. I said, why? I said, because she said everyone else did it, not you. It's like, well, it is true. Directing isn't just a one person thing. You got, you have to, you have to, you know, you have to let everybody do their thing. He never did. He did Chicky ever get in trouble for that? No, he didn't. Maybe if he did it today, he would have, but he got out of there and, and no repercussions. If you looked, he never said he was CIA. Never said that. He let them believe that. So he didn't impersonate one. He went with the thing. Yes. Uh, I'm doing a, a movie, that, a comedy that I've been looking and trying to do for a while called Ricky Stenicky with, uh, uh, with actually with, uh, uh, you know, a couple of guys I've been wanting to work with for a long time. What's it so, called? Ricky Stenicky. Oh, I think you told me about that. Yeah. Yeah. So... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go yeah, knock yeah, it yeah. off. Yeah, yeah. It's based on your life in Greenwich, Connecticut. <laughs> <laughs> I really appreciate that. Thank you very much. I'm, I'm really, I'm really proud of this movie. And by the way, we haven't even mentioned Sean Porter, my director of photography, superstar. I mean, this kid—it's he's just—he's just something else. Uh, but thank you very, very much. And. Oh, boy, that's a big question. Um, and they're wrapping us up here, but I'm going to give a, a short answer. Um, only in the sense that I was 10 years old when this movie took place. I remember the Vietnam War. I remember coming in the house, seeing it on TV all the time. Uh, you know, and back then they showed the war on TV like they don't now. You know, they, won't, they don't let cameras go there. They should because people would be horrified like we were. And my next door neighbor uh, was killed in Vietnam when I was like 10. He was 18. Um, uh, so I had that. I have memories of Vietnam. But I also remember this. Everybody in my neighborhood at that time was for the war. They all thought it was World War II, just like Chickie thought it was. And I remember when Cassius Clay, Muhammad Ali, didn't go into the draft and instead went to jail, we thought he was a coward. And when he got out, everybody was rooting for Joe Frazier. And it was only a few years later in the 70s when I'm older in high school, I realized what a hero he was and how brave he was. He gave up everything because he didn't feel it was right. But most of the country in 1967, like probably 80%, thought it was a good war. And now today, of course, I would say 95% recognize what a disaster it was. And I was on that side for that minute as a 10-year-old kid. But I do remember, I remember the you know, learning, like it's not such a great thing. Well, I think uh, on that note, we'll, we'll wrap it up. And uh, thank you all for coming. If uh, anybody... Anybody needs a moderator for anything? Um, you know, just call my office. I'll, I'll, I'll do it. I really, I really enjoyed it. So yeah, and I know, want to thank yeah. Larry David. Oh yeah, come on, the greatest comedy mind of the last half century. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Okay, I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to another DGA Q and A. The director's cut is available wherever you listen to podcasts. And please share, subscribe, rate, and review. We'd love to hear your feedback, and you can help fellow film buffs find the show. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America. 